0: Okay, it should be recording, um, cool. All right, so yes, so everyone who's here, hi, Bobby. Um, We'll see more people come, that's great. If not, we've got a good group to start with. Um, so what we're thinking we're gonna do is I'll give Leslie a bit of an introduction. And um, yes, please hold up the book. Oh, and I will put the link to buy the book in the chat. Can I uh, it, keep it up. Okay. Or, My brother will put the link to buy the book in the chat (laughs) because um, we want Leslie to get books bought and also because we're not charging all of you and the only way we'll make money is if you buy books through our site. So
1: buy
0: books, (laughs) buy books, buy books, it's always good. Um, So Leslie's kind enough, she's gonna read for us a little bit, then we're gonna talk a little and then I'm hoping we'll do some questions. Questions. Um, Yes, because questions are always fun. So part of the point of these talks with what I hope, this is the first one, there might be some kinks to work out, is that we can kind of replace a little bit of missing connections that we're having, right? We're all alone and separated and it's not fun. And especially for authors, I know so many authors who've had book talks canceled. And so I hope that this will provide little connectivity for all of us so please ask questions please write in the chat um maybe if you want we'll turn cameras on for the questions later and oh yeah there we go the link to buy black widow yes and we can, uh, yeah, we can go from there. Okay, so, of course, now I don't know where I put my notes for your introduction, but that's fine, because we've been talking, and you're awesome. So, uh, Leslie Shooter is here to talk about her memoir, Black Widow, and I will be able to say the whole title. Give me one second.
1: Or she can say
0: this the whole
1: title. I keep putting <laughs> it. Black Widow, a sad, funny journey through grief for people who normally avoid books with words like journey in the title. And I can
0: say I'm about halfway through, and I do not read books with the journey in the title. I absolutely do not. Um, and I'm super enjoying it, and we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, highly recommended. And yeah, so um, she's a great writer, and we're so excited to have her for Sea Witch's first author talk. It's a great inaugural talk. Um, yeah, and so I'm going to give it away to her, then we'll talk a bit, and then hopefully you guys will join in.
1: That's great questions okay yeah. so my book is about the first year of my widowhood and you go oh my god widowhood i'm clicking off no it's also funny it, it's in the title it's funny as well it basically i was said this before i don't know anyone who's ever been to a funeral where something actually funny happened like somebody showed up that didn't really like your grandma and you're like why is she here or like somebody got drunk or like they brought the wrong f- or they were awkward or just something. And when you go, ooh, and it's enough to distract you from the thing that's happening, which is the person that that you love that is gone. And that's just how I filter things as a newspaper reporter and a columnist. I've always filtered things, I hope funny. I I think I'm funny. And um, so when I wrote this book after my husband died, it just kind of came out that way. So it's my coping mechanism. Um, Mia asked me to write something that's, to read something that is Heavy ish. So what I did was I started in the beginning. Um, if you look through my book, you will see that many of the titles, and those of you who are millennials, Gen Y, and younger, will probably you might get some of the references. For, you. this one is called the first chapter is called. Now this is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down, which supports the first prints. So anyway, and this is the first chapter. Okay, here says the nice enough salesman, pointing to the long crypt to his right. Your loved one would go in first, with his head facing this way. And when it's time, you would go in ahead first. So your heads and hearts are touching for eternity. Thanks. Nice Enough Salesman makes reference to concepts like eternity and togetherness and how 40 or 50 years from now, the body that used to be me can be placed facing what's left of what used to be my husband, Scott. All I can hear is... Your husband is dead. Your husband is dead. Pick a box. Your husband is dead. You'll forgive me for not thinking clearly right now because my husband very recently dropped dead right in front of me while we were making out. And when I say very recently, I mean yesterday. I have to pull myself together and deal with this sometime. Well, right now, probably. But what I really wanna do is jump on the golf cart that from which my mother is nervously watching me and drive to the nearest bar. I should be at the Palm beach post, the newspaper I write for finishing a column about the free drinks that Scott and I were supposed to have as research for a cocktail story. That research was supposed to have happened yesterday afternoon, right around the time that our stunned sobbing relatives began landing at the airport. We were supposed to be celebrating the job Scott was supposed to start on Monday before we picked up our adorably goofy baby boy from daycare. Supposed to, doesn't mean crap. Instead, I'm at a cemetery, trying to pretend that any scenario that involves my husband in a crypt is at all okay. Having to even think about this crypt instead of free drinks is pissing me off. I guess it's not legal to keep on a refrigerated travel trailer in my backyard, I asked nice enough salesman, who looks startled. The widow's got jokes. Perhaps this is not the time. Unfortunately, no. I feel like we're doing some sort of twisted vaudeville bit. He's an appliance salesman with a baggy suit and a comically large flower on his lapel, trying to talk a dizzy housewife into buying a newfangled washing machine, but she has to wait for her husband's permission to buy it. The joke, and this is a good one, is that she can't ask him, cause you know, he's dead. That's not funny at all, is it? I can't fully fathom how we got here. Because for the past 24 hours, I swear I keep blacking out and somehow materializing in jacked up places like funeral homes and cemeteries. I do know this. My Scotty, who had not been feeling well for a few days, got up in the middle of the night to pee. He noted that our almost two-year-old son, Brooks, was still sleeping soundly across the hall and asked if I wanted to make out. Since I had a few hours before my deadline for a story I was writing, and because I don't turn down Twilight makeouts, I agreed. Then we started kissing until he stopped me. He never stopped me and he said something was wrong. I turned on the light and I saw Scott's head shaking kind of like a blender that keeps rumbling three seconds after you turn it off. I wasn't really awake yet so I couldn't quite understand what was happening, what I could not stop from happening. I can't tell you how much time passed, 30 seconds or a hundred years but as quickly as Scott started shaking, he stopped moving. What's happening? I screamed, half screamed, half pleaded. Scott didn't answer. All I know is that he finally let out two desperate breaths, involuntary breaths, and then he didn't breathe again. That was yesterday. It gets funny, I swear.
0: Had to unmute myself. I think that was funny. I was laughing when I was doing the first thing. And as someone who has been to multiple funerals where something funny has happened and we've all started laughing, like I was completely on board with you. Um, so so I understood that. And yeah, I mean, that's why when you, we were talking about it and when you asked, should you read something light or heavy? One of the reasons I said heavy is because even the heavy parts of your book aren't that heavy. And it's not Thank that you. you don't feel the loss of your husband because we do I think you do that really well while reading the book um we definitely miss him we we hear good stories about him and we wish he was still here but you put in a way that it's it's like you said it's still funny um or it's still kind of hopeful or there's still like we know more of a future is coming um and so I think that even the heaviest parts of your book still have that levity to them in the best way
1: Thank I'll you. Put
0: our dogs in the room, so if you hear barking, that's what's going
1: on. We're good. I saw a tail earlier. I was like, "Oh, what's it?"
0: Yeah, yeah. He he's on the other couch right now, but we'll we'll see what happens with him.
1: That's funny.
0: So something we were talking about a little bit um, before, when we were just kind of riffing, was um, I think that something I didn't expect when reading is how much your book is a story of an interracial couple. Yes. Yes. And it's very much about that. It, that seems to be really at its center. And, you know, we just had Loving Day and um, we did. And, and so um, I'm interested in kind of that aspect of the book. Did you set out to write something that was, quote unquote, about an
1: interracial couple? I, I, it was just about us, you mm-hmm. know, and that's who we were. So I guess coming from the perspective of, of a Black woman who married a white Jewish guy, um, also it's about, you know, finding love in your late thirties and yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, the sort of clash of, you know, you know, uh, traditions and sexuality and all that other stuff. So it's about, I just wrote about us mm-hmm. and I want to make sure that every, it, it didn't set out to be a book about this, a book about that. I mean, I did know, I did notice that when I first started writing a book, that's before Timby Locks from scratch came out. Um, She's also a black woman who was married to a white guy and her book actually is being made into a show on Netflix um, Executive produced by Ruth Witherspoon with um, Zoe Saldana playing her So I'm obviously not ever going to be played by Zoe Saldana, which is great. I'm just it's there Well, I love this because there's her experience She married like a hot Italian chef when she was she met him when she was on study abroad in Italy and they got married It was a whole thing when he died of cancer very tragically she and her daughter moved to italy to be with the family who had initially rejected them and it's just it's an amazing book and it's got recipes and stuff it just my book is like ah! you know so and in that is the story that is me i didn't set out to write i'm not it's not fiction you know so i didn't set out to go i am going to write about these things i said if i write about us i these things will be in it so i mm-hmm. thought I didn't have to make it more black than, more, more about blackness than about whiteness, more about this than about that. I was like, I'll figure it out, and then some editor who's better than me will tell me what the balance is, but. <laughs>
0: what the theme is. Well, I can assure you that as I'm about to turn 33 and single in quarantine, um, the dating in your 30s is definitely, yes. Can I
1: ask you about that? Okay, so I am 1,007 and uh, I'm 40, 49 years old and I announced yesterday I'm preparing to move from West Palm Beach, Florida where I've overfished the, the dating pool um, to Baltimore. And I have friends in New York. And so I'm going to be, when it's safe to travel, all over the place. So I figure my dating pool might be, like, a couple states long. but <laughs> And not only am I older and do I have a kid, so that complicates things. But the COVID thing, it's like, I was reading, like, how do you did. It's like, well, don't kiss anybody unless you live with them. What? I don't, though. I didn't get married before I Start of the pandemic, so I'm sorry. Can't kiss, you can't have sex, you can't do anything. It's like, well, how about your phone? I was like, I could do that already. It just, it's really not like, it's funny because I wait until this moment to like move and change my life and then it's like, by the way, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I definitely am going through quite a bit with that. And
0: um, so it's interesting. And I, I actually got to write a piece for the forward on this that uh, I mentioned that I'm knock on wood finishing up my dissertation. And I have kind of had a few years where I was really, really focusing on work. I mean, I was dating, but you know, like it's, I'm sure you have the experience when you're a woman focusing on work, dating is a whole other conversation, even problem. if you're trying to do it. And um, right before COVID hit, I was literally like, I have to push myself, you know, like I'm gonna be 33 and I, I, I want certain things. And literally, the, the week before, I had scheduled, I think, three dates. I didn't get to go on any of them. No! It was literally like, you know, well, shit. Like, I, they were all first dates. You know, I have no idea what would have happened with them. But it was, you know that's it. Like, and, and one of them I maybe could have squeezed in before everything shut down, but I was getting nervous. You know, I think everybody was. And that exact thing, I was like, well, what am I going to do? Go on a date and like not kiss someone at the end of it? You know, if we're like how, what is that going to be? So, um, so yeah, I don't have a good answer to that. Maybe if there's people watching who have, you know, you guys type in the chat, turn your cameras on. I'll take advice. Um, seriously, seriously. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely, I think, but so for me, reading that right now and kind of hearing the ages, there's <laughs> um, Hearing the ages that you were, and like I'm gonna turn 33 on July 5th. Um, <laughs> I I really related to that aspect of your book as well. Like, okay, it's fine. <laughs> they met at that age, you
1: know. No, you will, and I think that you know technology, you know, as it, forward it's evil but in some ways but also it's it helps you connect i mean scott yeah. and i met again on facebook after meeting in high school so i mean i really do have their social media connection to that and i anyone that i have dated both bef- starting with scott anyone i dated from him so that's 11 years now to now has been somebody that i knew a long time ago that's and really- then and then found again from some other reason. So I don't know what that is. At first I felt really bad about it, because not bad, I was like, oh, I'm like, you know, going back to the archives. I'm like, there's something to be set. My mother is dating her college boyfriend and she's 72. So it happens, you know? So there's something to be set for having a shared experience with people. So, I mean, I would love to meet someone new, but if not, did I go to high school with you or do you have a job and not a loser? Call me. Thank yeah. you.
0: No, I definitely, yeah, so I agree with you. Like, I asked about kind of that. And I think because some of those issues, right, like reading your book in the moment I'm reading it, like I was reading it this week. And so, you know, we did just have Loving Day. We are really in this moment of conversation. I mean, Sea Witch put up a whole list of anti-racism books because I think that's really what people want to be reading right now. And based on my academic background, like I have suggestions. Um, so, you know, it's, so that really, the, the aspect of the interracial marriage and kind of the conversations around the clashing culture, not clashing so much, you guys do a pretty good job of smoothing in. I I don't really think, you know, coming together, there's not a lot of clashing. Um, that, like, I was really, it was in the back of my head a lot reading it. And I think that that might've very well been influenced by this. And also because, as I said, I'm Jewish. So I loved, I'm Jewish and I, I'm in the social justice spaces. I'm in very, Mm -hmm. like. Intellectual like, spaces, and so the way you would describe Scott talking about it yes. was was very um, familiar to me, and awesome. I really enjoyed it filtered through like your humor and the and your love for him. I you know I thought that that was like a really cool way to see Jewishness, especially because it was it it was things that were very familiar to me, but just with like a different lens. Thank
1: you, and it meant so much to me what you know what you said because. I think that sometimes when people we're having this moment now with own voices and all of these things, where people who are not who are in the mainstream have written about other cultures and religions and stuff forever, but it's it's very much white centered, Christian centered, whatever about oh this pantheon of people that are together but not like from their perspectives. So being from a marginalized community, but wanting to write about another marginalized community in some ways, I wanted to. In, in terms of his Jewishness, I wanted to make sure that I got it right. And I wanted to make sure that I didn't say the wrong thing or that I wasn't offensive in a way that was ignorant, you know, like truly purely ignorant about like, I didn't say, I, I said, it was this holiday, but it's really this holiday, whatever, you know, and I just wanted to get it right because I know what that feels like when others don't get it right. And most of the time they don't. So no, I mean I, I really
0: liked it. I really enjoyed it. And I, I enjoyed kind of the way the conversations that were in the book about you two coming together. Mm-hmm. And kind
1: of that it didn't it didn't really seem to be a problem. Um, it, it yeah, wasn't at all. And I had a conversation with Scott's dad about this because he was like, Oh no, it's good because he's is he's almost eighty. Is he he He'll be eighty this year. And he's from an academic um tradition. So he was like he came from the time when any time anyone wrote about you know Jewish and white people getting together. There was a show in the sixties or seventies called Bridget Lowe's Bernie* that was with Mar- uh, Meredith Baxter and David Baxter Bernie, David Bernie, and that's why they got to, that's why she was Meredith Baxter Bernie. Those of you older than thirty, uh, you know, anyway. So from family ties, it's a long thing. Anyway, so her whole thing was they're gonna make it. Anyone that does anything about it, or writes about it, is gonna see it in a nineteen seventies you know sitcom way and it's gonna be all about conflicts and oh you burn the borscht oh i don't know what to bring to the barbecue you know <laughs> whatever and he goes they're gonna make stuff up so i was saying that's not what i was i kept saying and he finally read it and he got it but he was very concerned that it was gonna be like Wah! you know the way that those things have been run out as a conflict and someone i spoke to mentioned it's, like, it's not a conflict it's that it was you're different i'm different. Um, when people say, like, I don't see color or I don't see I see. <laughs> I want you to see color because I, I dig my color. I dig your color. It's that we don't see that my color makes me superior to you or that your color makes you superior to me and that we can relish in the things that make us different because they're all beautiful. And that's what I like about it. So that's all we did. We dug each other, man. We dug the differences and <laughs> went. You know.
0: Oh, I love that. Um Also, I mean, you guys should read it. I won't give too much away, but there was one moment that I thought was really funny about that, which was when um, you're ready to get mad at a Hasidic relative of his for not shaking your hand. No, no, no. You'll like this, though, is that I have been raised my entire life by, like, 100% of my relatives are Jewish, and I forget that shit. You know what I mean? Like, I would <laughs> totally go... I don't have Hasidic relatives that I know of, but um, I would totally go someplace with, like, you know, Hasidic people, and I would get annoyed that they were acting that way. and would so oh, yeah. be like, Mia, don't you remember? Like, um, But except for me, because I, you know, it's my community, I'd be able to be like, fuck them, it's sexist, I don't care. I mean, no, I, I respect people's religious traditions, but
1: there would be a little of that. Um, I was like, fight the power! Yeah. Luke throw throwing the trash can through the South Pizza, and they're like, no, no, no. So, for
2: those of you, I, I might
0: have shorthanded it too much, um, very religious Jews often can't— it's so, Jewishness is weird, I mean, because every sect is totally different, like, not even all Hasidic people would feel like this, but there are sects of Hasidic Jews who won't touch the opposite sex, unless it's family. And so, there's a great anecdote um, in the book with Leslie going to meet one of Scott's relatives, who's Hasidic, and getting mad that he won't shake her hand, understandably, and then has to be reminded that, no, 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 he's not being rude. He, he can't touch it. And, but what I thought was so funny about it is I understood why you had discomfort with that, why you felt bad, that you were going to get mad about something. But I just found it so funny because I might have done exactly the same thing.
1: Thank you. That's hilarious. That was that moment where I was like, I'll just go over here now. <laughs> I'll be over here being embarrassed. It's fine.
0: So yeah. sorry. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like there's like so many like Jewish jokes I can make that, you know, we all have different things and we'll argue about it and it's fine. But no, just like that, those kinds of things. So, so I found that moment and a lot of like the moments like that and the conversations, you know, I think it's, it's a very real story and it's it's nice that I think I didn't expect a book about you being a widow would be almost written like a traditional love story that mm-hmm. we that we kind of, you know, we know from the beginning where things end right? Like you just read the opening that I, I hope everyone enjoyed. And we know that he's dead from the beginning, but we get to follow your courtship. We get to follow how you got together. Um, you know, what you go through when you want to have a baby and, and on and on. And so despite the fact that um, we, we know how it's going to end, and there's obviously conversations, and, and maybe I'll get to more of them about what happens after he dies, we do get that love story embedded in the book. And I, I thought that was really interesting reading it.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I, and I put in the book that his friend, Jason, said to me, don't make it just about some guy who died. And I, I use pop culture references because that's what I write about. But like when you, Hallmark movies, when there's, often there's a woman, she moves from New York and she moves to like, I always call it collectively Apple Valley because it's always <laughs> And there's like one like one Jewish person, they don't say is Jewish, and one black girl. And you're like, why are, why are you here? But anyway, so um, when they moved to Apple Valley and she meets like some widower who's like the hot handyman or something like that, you know, and they never, they talk up, they sometimes do not even, I don't think he mentioned his wife's name, but it's like yeah. Emily or whatever, you know, and they talk about her, but she's part of the backstory, her life and her influence other than the child that she's has who's sad, who wants her dad or his dad to meet the, the woman from New York is not really important And I did not want to make my story about my life. Why would you care if you didn't know why I loved him so much? Why why would you care? Why would you be invested? Because I'm not celebrity. If I was like, you know, Kerry Washington or like a Kardashian or someone, and you already knew me, and then I lost my husband and I wrote a book. You look at things like um, so many of the books that have been written about widowhood recently, like um, Option B, Sheryl Sandberg's book, or um, The Year of of Magical Thinking, uh, Joan Didion, which is, my template. These people were already famous. Mm -hmm. So the and people knew about their partners knew who they were. So when they wrote about their widowhood in their second or or 80th book, people already had an investment in that relationship and who they are. No one knows who I am outside of like half an hour North of me, 20 minutes that way, 30 (laughs) minutes that way. So to write a book and say, you should care about me and about my loss of this person you never met before. Was a, was a challenge in a way, but I was like, I'll just tell him who he is. And they're gonna miss him too, because they're obviously gonna love him because he was awesome. And they'll feel the loss of him that way. And that worked. And so then you cared why I wanted to move on because you knew what I had lost.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting. And, and kind of segueing into that, um, I know there's a lot of writers who have happily shown up to our conversation. And I was wondering about, um, kind of how it was for you to write about such personal, heavy material. Was it it that it flowed quickly because it was very close to you or did you find it kind of really difficult because it brought up a lot as you were writing?
1: I think, and it was written basically in real time. I started writing it maybe two months after he died. So that first scene in the cemetery was a lot raw and then I kind of cut it and then I made it raw again. But um, I just kind of wrote. Mm-hmm. And then I would write things and put it on a page and then I would go, I said, I'm not going to censor myself and they're going to read it and go, oh, 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 should I do this? Um, but I, when my dad died in 2012, um, I decided when I finally wrote about it for the newspaper, that if uh, an editor said to me, if you're going to write it, write it, if you're going to do it, do it. And I thought, okay. So I knew that I didn't know three years later that I lose my husband from then on. I thought if I'm going to write about something personally, um, difficult. I'm not going to like tell you all the blood and stuff, but I'm going to talk about these things in the most real way that I can. That is accessible because I want people to understand it because otherwise, once again, I'm not a Kardashian. So why would you care? So why would you care if I'm not really real about it? So that was sort of my, um, my template mm-hmm. was to say, I'm just going to be real about this, like thing about like sex and, you know, the drinking and the fat and all that stuff. I just wrote it, even if it didn't make me look necessarily, um, good. <laughs> um, I was like, that's how I was. And if particularly people who said to me for any loss, widowhood or losing their parents or losing a child, God forbid, or whatever, they said, I understood parts of myself in those raw moments. And how am I going to help you if you're not raw, if I'm not raw?
0: Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm sure you are aware of kind of the conversation going on around Twitter right now about, like, um, oh, sorry, someone wrote some things. Let's do that. Brandon. Yeah. Hi. Brandon's one of our authors. She's doing um, a talk in, like, two or three weeks. Cool. Um, Sometimes I think it's easier to care about someone who's not a celebrity because it normalizes these experiences and makes them less happy to talk about. I agree with that. And, like, you know, kind of the things that you're talking about with this, like, you don't go through grief. Having to go out and get your picture taken, you don't go through grief worrying about. But how- I did
1: here, but because I, I, no one cares. But I'm like in West Palm Beach, people knew who I was, so I did have this moment where I would go out and like, because I'm a columnist in West Palm Beach, so like literally from like half an hour north of me to 20 minutes south of me, people cared. But I would go to Miami and nobody cared who I was and gave a shit, and that was really great. Gotcha. And I thought, I'm writing for people outside. So when I put myself outside of that and knew that other than Palm Beach County, which like now is celebrity, actually. Yes. Palm Beach County is now in the news because, you know, of our COVID. It's not because of me. <laughs> um, yeah. No, we're number one. We're number one. Um, you know, it, so I had to say, if you, like I said, if you don't know who I am, why would you care? And I appreciate that, Brandon, very much because, um, I mean, I wish that you didn't know who I was because I wrote a book about my husband dying, but it happened anyway. So I'm glad that I'm able to make a difference in that. So I, I, I appreciate that so much, so much. Um,
0: I had kind of one more plans question and then I definitely want kind of people to participate and we'll, we'll see where we go. We also, we can go as long as we want, we're not. Um, that, I was interested in your thoughts. Um, I'm sure you were aware of the conversation on Twitter about the publishing paid me hashtag.
2: Yes.
0: Yeah. Um, and just, you know, your book feels very much about, you're not, it's not just widowhood, it's your experience as a Black woman going through widowhood. widowhood. And that, that feels very much kind of what it's about and that, and central to your story. And so I was curious
1: if you had anything to share about your publishing experiences. I will say this. My ex- I do not, be- I believe that everything is built on something else. I remember five years ago reading that Roxane Gay, like, got $5,000 for Bad Feminist.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It was scandalous to me. Yeah. Scandalous. I got a lot more than that for my first book and no one knew who I was. However, I don't think that would have happened without Roxane Gay's mm-hmm. I, or, or the Mickey Kindles or... Um, you know, without the hate you give or, you know, all of these books. I don't think with Angie, you know, I don't think these, this is what happened if there had not been a group of people that said, okay, black women can make money. (laughs) Seriously. I I truly so for people. I mean, and Roxane Gay happens 50 years after Nikki Giovanni. She happens 50 years, you know, uh, 60, 70 years after, um, Zora Neale Hurston. I mean, It's not a surprise, but I think that when you look at the mad capitalism part of it, you're like, they want to know if you can make money. They're going to give you some money, can you make them back money? And if they're not convinced that someone like you can make money, um, they're not going to give it to you. I think it's just, the problem comes, like you were saying in the discussion on Twitter, the nuance is that there were plenty of white people or non-black people who've written about blackness and gotten a lot of money. So why is it that black writers get less money for writing about being black? Mm -hmm. And what does particularly black women and what does that mean to the experience and the value of us telling our own stories? Um, And it it was just, it was really enlightening. Like I said, I did pretty good. Um, We'll see. I mean, I have no problem saying that it was released literally into a pandemic. So it's not done as well as I thought it would. But it's done okay considering, I think, that pandemic. Um, so we'll see. There was a bump a couple weeks ago after being on today's show. So we'll see what happens with that. But I just want to keep writing, you know. And mm-hmm. if it's, I hope that I keep getting an opportunity to do that. I hope that that happens. Um, and we're in this moment. I interviewed a guy who's a local activist uh, in a community that's predominantly black that is has had crime problems and stuff. And he said that the frustration, in his community is that black people have been talking about these issues for years Mm -hmm. and suddenly it took literally seeing a man executed on television
0: Mm -hmm.
1: for people to admit there was a problem and he said it's it's wearying that we've been saying this for years and this is, now you saw it on video you can't deny it Mm -hmm. so now it's a problem, now everyone's like oh my gosh you know, whatever. Um, so this is a problem. Oh, there's another question.
0: Oh yeah. That's my mom actually. Um, so she just published her first novel called Schrodinger girl, which we're going to do, uh, hers is in maybe two weeks, July 8th. Um, and she made the point that, um, the publishing industry also not just decides who to publish and what their advances are, but also who and how to promote. And so for her, like my mom's book got a New York times review. And it, it got some but her pub, but her um, publishing house did no promotion for her. Wow. And so like, it, like the promotion was like practically me like, <laughs> like uh-huh. us like we did it. I'm like I have a Twitter account I can, I can help um, And just how much that that they and like for my mom's book, um, like she's white, but um, she was writing a novel that had a lot of science in it and so she kept getting that women don't write those books. You know, Ugh. that's Richard Powers or that's Pynchon. And not to speak for her, she's here. I'm um, like, she can do it. But like, that was really a conversation um, around her. And, and, you know, it's interesting because one of the reasons why I kind of, we, we were talking before this started a little bit about that starting Sea Witch and starting this virtual bookstore was really about this current moment. Yes. And it, it is completely. and, and, You know, I'm not going to pretend that I don't have my own, like, I have no money and I'm overeducated. I want to do things that will make me a little money. You know, please, like, buy books through our site. And so I'm not going to pretend that there isn't, um, not selfish, but, you know, like, self-serving aspect to this. But it's also that, like, I went through what happened with my mom's book and watching it and that, like, it got a decent, like, it got a good New York Times review. You know, that's that's a pretty big accomplishment, but because it got no promotion um the sales don't reflect that reflect that excuse me and so particularly since covid started and i've been watching this and the publishing industry seems to just have not responded to covid they're kind of just sitting back and saying let's wait and see and to me that's so crazy because it's the one kind of content that can be made totally virtually yes you can make a book without anyone ever being in the same room
1: absolutely and let me say this i i I will say little Browns people have been amazing. And not only have them been amazing, they've been amazing because they've acknowledged everyone has worked their butts off. And I mean my book came out in March. So like how many Tuesdays have been since March 10th, you know? Everyone's got books coming out every week. But the fact that I have a platform locally that and I have a Twitter platform and then I just kept kind of going with that. And I've made once again widow Twitter. I've made friends with all of like the famous widows, like Nora McInerney and Timby lock and whatever, and people who have meant a lot to me, not promotionally, but just because their work has meant a lot to me. And so I've gotten a lot of things. So little Brown saw me hustling. And so they've hustled like the today show thing was supposed to happen in April and it got canceled. So it happened two weeks ago. Um, yeah, two weeks ago, uh, sitting right here in my nook, in my room, um, on my couch, um, so they have promoted me and worked hard to promote like, but like there's some things I got like, um, John Pugel saying who I'm in love with, um, on Sirius XMZ, he's the smartest person in the world. And he just, he found me on Twitter, you know, Mm -hmm. but so it's been sort of a, a platform that has been like, I did stuff, they did stuff, I did stuff, they did stuff. And I have a reach, I know as a, um, a person who's published by a traditional publisher that they're publishing their promotion arms has a reach and also i hustle because i'm a reporter so all i know how to do is hustle mm-hmm. oh question yeah okay. we
0: have another one um so also guys if you want to like turn cameras on and do that like i want to see all of you and help yeah, like, the fantastic, you but i know people miss seeing each other's faces um so this is from john um can i ask leslie about the humor um, no, it's, it's always right on topic. If anyone knows me, I'll, I'll talk forever if you don't interrupt.
1: Um, no, it is. John, turn your camera on. <laughs> um. Let me do her here. Okay. Okay, yeah. I haven't read the book yet, but
0: I'm very curious about approaching personal tragedy with humor. Sure. How do you think of the humor? Did certain kinds of humor work better or worse? Was there ever a danger of too light a touch in early drafts of undercutting the portrayal of the character?
1: Well, I will say this, and I, I alluded to it earlier. <sighs> the- People who, when you try to be funny, you are the least funny. When you say, I'm going to put a joke and there should be this um, this amount of jokes and this thing, whatever, that's the worst. Because I think either there is funny moments that are organic or it doesn't. So what I did was I just kind of wrote. And I think in the beginning, if anything came up, it was that it was so, it was imbued with the shock and anger that was very germane to the beginning of, of my widowhood that I was like I'm not going to feel this way two years from now and I kept a lot of that because I wanted it to be like reporting like this is how I feel at this moment but in some I it was like Ugh. but it wasn't I didn't try I just went okay this isn't working and then I, I started over um I, I think that for me oh hi John I think that what oh, I, no. I, I think if when you're Whoa. writing hi, <laughs> you doing? when you're writing um a memoir it's what happened to me so i tried to describe it in a way that was the most truthful and most organic i think that for for fiction i've done i'm writing fiction right now it has some of the same themes that all but some of the same themes and i just kind of went for it and eventually someone else <gasps> would <gonna> go ah, <laughs> or not but I think just kind of go for it and like write whatever it is you write write it as organically and real as it feels at this moment whether it's sad or it's funny or whether it's both in the same sentence because i i did that i didn't do it on purpose it just kind of happened because i found when i when i had a chapter that i tried to go well this is too dark like there was nothing really light about the chapter where my husband where we go to the emergency room and He's pronounced in. there's nothing funny about that and there were a couple like oh this isn't completely horrible at this moment but there's no haha funny in that because there wasn't so I just wrote it the way that it that it felt you know so just to let everyone know if you put a question in the chat
0: we will 100% get to it because I see people are starting to and I'm keeping track of them so we're good um yeah um, well, I will say also just in response to that, I can't think of anything more Jewish than making jokes about death and tragedy. So you're, you know, you're doing stuff there as well.
1: Um, okay, so my I'm mom... A question. joke that didn't make it. So Scott's cousin, Kenny, okay. who did the eulogy about with, uh, featuring the um, theme from the Jeffersons. Um, it was his birth, Scott died on his birthday. So he drove up from Barrett County to Palm Beach. It was about uh, an hour drive. And he, at this point, he knows they haven't told me yet. I know he's dead. You know, he drives up and we get there and we confirm for him that this happened. And I explained to him that we were making out when he had his heart attack. And there was a show that used to be on, Link Discovery or something called Sex Sent Me to the ER. Oh, yeah. And and so he's talking to Scott's body and he says, dude, if you had just survived this, you could have been on that show. <laughs> and we just went, ah! we cracked up and the awful staff at the hospital was like nah. but it was just like that was the organic thing and it, was, and it was funny it was so awful and sad but it was really funny <laughs> at that moment because he probably would have if he survived that heart attack he would have said how do we get on the? it was on A&E. how do we get on the show i well, know he would have and that's funny yeah,
2: yeah I, and that's and i can you hear me by the way is that yes. okay yes yeah and that's why i ask because i always feel like even when a bad thing is happening, like that's kind of when humor comes out the most, oddly enough, as a yep. kind of protective thing or just because it's so bizarre and crazy that you just can't believe it's happening. Absolutely. So I, th- I always find books that, that treat tragedy as purely tragic or just a sort of modeling to be um, not actually very true to the experience. Absolutely. In my own Absolutely. thing, yeah. Um, my mom had the
0: next question. Mom, do you want me to read it or do you want to say it since your camera's on?
2: Oh, I don't remember exactly what
3: I wrote, so why don't you read it?
0: Okay. Um, I'm interested in writing a love story when you already know the
1: ending. Did that change the shape of the narrative? It didn't, and, and I didn't have a choice about how it ended because I knew how it ended it, and I made the decision when I was writing it in real time to end it at that year. Um, at the, you know, literally Brooks's adoption happened almost a year to the day of Scott's Scott's passing. And so it seemed like a cosmic way to to bookend it, Um, something crappy, something good. Um, But I don't think it is. I think there's lots of of movies where you kind of, and I think the whole like in the 90s and early 2000s, there were a lot of like, we're going backwards, you know, books and movies and stuff. But I think that's really neat because how did you get there? How did we, how did you, how do you get there? To me, and I'm a dork, so I say that in advance, that j- the journey is what's so interesting. So I think that would be fascinating. And I, I don't, and I think that changes the there only because the only thing stopping you is that you already know the end. Everything else is, a, is, is a discovery. Every other point from this point to this point is like, what? And I, I think that there's something so, if you can write that way and you can like, break the parameters of those parameters, I think that's really fascinating.
0: Um, any follow-up or should we move on to the next? Are we good? Okay. Um, Brandon, your camera isn't on, so I will read your question unless you want to in turn. Oh, there you are. Your camera is on, Brandon. Hi, Brandon. Um, so, okay, you're muted. I'll read. It's, oh, no, unmuted, okay. Oh, you are welcome to tell it, or I can read what you typed here either way. You have twins in the background, so you're muted. Okay, cool. Um, okay, so I'm gonna read it and then we'll be good. Okay, uh, I'm mixed race so my experience is obviously going to be different from yours, Leslie, but do you or did you feel pressure to make yourself marketable to white audiences, um, but stressed about keeping your voice authentic? This is an incredibly heavy thing on my mind and I think it holds my own voice's experience back as a new author.
1: I will say that, by the way, I'm an identical twin, so my mom, Every time my son does something, she goes, and there were two of you <laughs> like no sympathy because two. Um, but that's something that that question and it came in the very beginning because I understood that as a nonfiction writer, you're writing these proposals and stuff. Nonfiction publishers usually don't want you to finish the book before you before they buy it before they pitch it because there's so much to be done and you know the way it's going or whatever so i did write the. i started pitching it before i wrote it and by the time we pitched little brand i had written it and then we did some changes or whatever but from the very beginning when you're pitching it understanding that it's a your um proposal is a marketing tool and you go how do i market something that people might not think is marketable and I, i knew that because there's that kind of leeway how much am I, I have to decide my line in the sand. How much am I going to adapt the book for other people and not for me? So there were things that wasn't even just racially, it was racially and um, generationally that a lot of the people that were reading this book were not only white, but they were younger than me. So there were like um, references they didn't get. And they would cross them out and I would put them back in and I would say, I'm not being precious, but people my age will understand this reference and people will get it. And there's references like there's a Sheila E. reference. And if you're younger than that, that's fine. But it made sense. I wasn't right. I decided I'm not writing a book for white millennial women. I'm right. Cause that's not who I am. There you go. I'm writing, my book is written from me, and if other people get it, I don't want it to be so inside baseball that nobody else would get it. That, like, everyone I didn't go to high school with would be like, what? But what I had to do was say, how can I make this accessible to other people, yet make it true to myself? How can I make it so it's my story, and I'm not soft peddling it or cutting things out that are very important to me, and as a columnist, I have that kind of like every word is important and a part of my legacy. And if you take it, you're cutting me to, you know, nobody likes that person. So I had to not be that person, but like, is said, there were some things like there's a, a reference in the, the chapter where my husband, before we get married, when we're just dating wins a silent auction and wins us a fancy weekend at a spa. And um, we realized that, in a very i love lucy kind of way that we've been at the spa all day long and we keep saying yes to things not realizing they're tacking all this money on to the experience so we get the check and it's thousands of dollars more than we had planned for and there's a line in sheila E's the glamorous life that says if you have to ask you can't afford the lingerie and the line was we 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 did not ask we cannot afford the lingerie and an editor very first time cut that out she goes who's going to get that i said people who aren't you And she went, oh, okay, okay. And I went, no, because I have all the time when I'm reading, like, I'll have coworkers who will say, can you read this? And I'll go, you have to understand, I'm not going to get everything. I'm not going to understand, like, baseball references. I mean, some of them, because my kid's name is Brooks Robinson, so I do have some of that, but um, Baltimore Orioles, legendary third baseman. Um, There are things that I don't necessarily get, but you have to say, who who is my book is some of this asked me who is your book for and so my book is for human beings my book is written to my experience as a black woman who's a twin who was raised in the 70s and 80s who married a white guy who was jewish who lost him who adopted a kid that's literally just me that's from my perspective and i think if i'm true to all of those experiences this is a long answer i'm sorry brandon if this is if i'm true to all of those experiences experiences i think that people along that will pick up on that and say i got this because she was real about it so write your thing girl Leslie Streeter at gmail.com email me email me if you have any questions i'd love to read your stuff
0: Ooh, can i, can I ask a
2: follow-up on that like, I'm,
1: yes oh, yeah. sorry.
0: authors that's fantastic um uh,
2: can I, I, sorry, I just, because I was thinking about it, uh, sorry, I won't point at the thing so far. Yeah. Um, you said, so it seemed like your editor or some of the people around you were confusing about what your book was about and who it was for. Like, it's about you,
1: Well, in the, the theory, idea being
2: like, somehow it's about you, it will be only for you. I find that really interesting coming well, I think think it's because
1: My editor, who is the most amazing, uh, mm. whose name is Jean Garnett. Jean inherited my book because the first editor left and went to a different publishing house. So Jean um, inherited this book while she was on maternity leave, before she ever came back. And it was on a list of books that were hers. So I hope she doesn't mind me saying this, but when she first read the title, she was like, what is Black Widow? Is this, she was like, is this supposed to be like some sociological thing about the differences and the way that different communities grieve? And they're like, no, it's a sad, funny memoir by a Black girl who drinks too so much bourbon. And she said, okay, because she didn't know. She didn't know what it was about. And when she under, once she read it from that perspective, she goes, Oh, this is great. Cause at first she was like, what am I reading? <laughs> what am I doing? Because it hadn't been, she didn't know how it was supposed to be presented. And if you just got this crazy mishmash of stuff, you'd like, not that I'm like, you know, rewriting the, you know, the Bible or anything. I'm not, it just, it's different because it's my story. And it's, it reminds people of other, of different things. And because I'm, I'm a Gen X person, I'm, I remember like Prozac Nation and Girl Interrupted and um, The Kiss, God forbid, and all these books that came out that were memoirs written from, written that came out in my 20s and being like, what am I supposed to do with that? Um, and I think, I don't know if a lot of those writers would go back, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Wurzel just died, um, who wrote Prozac Nation, all of her experiences in publishing about did she say too much? You know, she was like the hot girl, and so people only saw her in that way and didn't take her seriously. And because critics were mostly male and people who were resentful of her her success, and they didn't take it the way it was supposed to be taken because they didn't know how and there was no template for that. So all I'm saying is, you know, you got to to do your thing, and if you understand, I guess what perspective is, and that every. I did not grow up believing that everything was supposed to be about me because I'm a black woman. So I couldn't go into English class and go, I refuse to read Return of the Native because it has nothing to do with my life. It has nothing to do with anybody's life, but it had really not a lot to do. I don't know what's happening outside of my door. It really, (laughs) I have a six-year-old, really not a lot to do with my life. So when you read these things and you went, okay, little women has nothing to do with my life and Moby Dick has nothing to do with my life. And I I could not reject these things. They were literally on the test. Um, And I had to accept, as as I say in the book, as a black woman, you accept that nothing is made for you. It's not even in a real, in a way that was purposeful. It's just they weren't thinking, as I quote, they weren't thinking about your black ass. They weren't, they weren't thinking about you. It wasn't like, you weren't in, you were on the, not even in the periphery, you were like on a different page. So when they created salons there you could go and walk in and they forgot to hire a black girl that day and no one knew how to do your hair. Oh, you don't have that experience because you can't go in. And when I, would, when I was in my twenties and couldn't afford really good makeup, I had to put my budget towards Clinique and prescriptions because I could not be guaranteed that when I went into a CVS or a Walgreens that they had makeup that, that worked for me. You know, so I had to adapt and I don't think it's bad to ask other people to do that. I don't think it's bad to ask people who've been the majority to think about not being, things not being for you. It's okay. I'm almost 50. I survived it. It's good. It won't kill you. You'll be fine.
0: I also wonder, and I mean, I, I read a lot. Like I always have, my mom is an English professor. Like, so I grew up reading things from such differing perspectives and that's really what reading is for. And There's so, even if you one. don't know something, like, like none of the books, I mean, Little Women is, is probably the only one mentioned that, like, not that it's like my experience, but I certainly relate to a lot of it. Um, no, yeah. on the library, which was just mentioned, like, yeah, I don't relate to that. Um, but you know, that you get things from context and that it's about that. Like, maybe you don't know, like, I have a very vague memory of Sheila. You know, like I, like I recognize it and I say it, but like, when I'm reading, I can get things from context. And I yeah. always wonder that before crossing things out, is there not a step of, well, let's leave it in, but maybe let's add a sentence. Like that's yeah. what I wonder. Why does it and go to cutting out rather than adding a sentence that might just make the, it, the
1: understanding a little clearer? What we tried, and that's what I didn't want to do was over explain it so that it was clear that it was written for white people. That's fair. <laughs> That's very I used to do that because yes. if you over explain it, it's clear that you're not talking to the people you're talking to because people you're talking to are going, well, clearly you're not talking to me because you have to put in three expo- you know, sentences of exposition. So other people, and there's nothing wrong with putting it in a context, but if you over explain it, I mean, do to write about baseball. Don't come out and go, we're talking about Babe Ruth who had this many things, whatever, because you assume that the people who are reading it are gonna get it. And if they don't, they'll look it up. hmm So if I make a reference, and I am very clearly established myself as a pure Gen Xer, graduated from college in 1993, I love with Ethan Hawke and Wesley Snipes both together. It was a thing. And this happens, and that's who I am. So I will say, there are times where you explain like an actor or a dude or a book I wrote or read or whatever, but like, what three of my favorite books are? O pioneers, The Age of Innocence, and Lonesome Dove, which mm-hmm. have all to do with my life. <laughs> and it didn't matter because the people who wrote those books were immersed. Yeah. In those, particularly uh, Willa Cather and Edith Wharton were immersed in those worlds. Well, that's how you read them.
3: I have to jump in here.
1: Yeah. And say
3: hi to Leslie and say those are three of my favorite books and amazing teach them in my American Lit classes. And one time I was teaching a summer version of it, and I couldn't ask the students to read such long books in six weeks, so I showed the movie of O Pioneers. Uh, and it was the only time in my 35-year teaching career that I actually sobbed out loud in the classroom. It was, it was a
1: little I, bit Can I tell you, Glenn Close, by the way, is, um, just so underrated. As over as rated as she is, she's just underrated. And there's a the moment where, and those of you who have not read *O Pioneers*, I'm not going to give a spoiler. But something happens to someone very close to this character.
3: That's when I sobbed.
1: Yes, yeah. And when that happens, and her in the book, I had to go back and reread the book to understand that this was true. That she forgives the person who did it because she understood the context in which it happened. And that was so mind-blowing to me that she says, I'm sorry that you did this. However, this is what happened and I understand how you felt that. And because this woman who was this client, literally this woman who probably everyone's like, if you'd only been a man, Alexandra, you'd been, you know, whatever. And that she was... In this moment, you know, places of course stolen from the Native Americans, but we won't go there. Um, she was a pioneer in this moment where it was dangerous and everything could kill you, and everyone could kill you, and the winter could kill you, and the the trees could kill everything could kill you. And she stood tall, and she didn't get married, and she didn't, you know, she raised her brother, and she dealt with, dealt with people who didn't wasn't sure what who she was. And now, if they've written it now, they they assume she was a lesbian. I mean, who knows? But well, happened think- her? Yeah. you know exactly she was just that character and yeah, in that movie i cried so hard it just it's so beautiful
3: one thing i want to say about what you just said that's so interesting is i have an acquaintance who i know from like a 12-year chat room that we've had together who sadly is homophobic transphobic racist every negative thing I don't talk to her much anymore and she worships Willa Cather. And I try and say but you know Willa Cather lived as a lesbian right. in in uh, Greenwich Village and spent a year being Will Cather and really lived a trans life for a year. Yes. And we read these writers because their sensibility is so fine that it makes us see the human experience differently. Whether it's Toni Morrison, or Willa Cather, or Paul Auster, or whomever it is, because somehow the the depth of their humanity allows them to portray the particulars of the group they're talking about, but also somehow transcends it.
1: Absolutely. That's amazing. Well, I want to hang out with you, yeah. Yeah, I we are. We're hanging out right now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're so cool. You're so cool.
0: Um. Obviously, like, I really agree with both of you. And I just also, like, it strikes me as I remember, you know, the first time I read, like, a Dostoevsky novel or, or mm-hmm. like, a, no, probably it was Tolstoy and, like, Adekhandle. And you're reading that and you literally have to, like, flip back to the front to remember everyone's name because it's so out of your experience to keep the names in your mind. And no one, no one acts as if, the reader can't handle that, right? Like, yeah, he's Russian and it's very steeped in Russian culture and, you know, you have to make sure you get the right translation and on and on and on. But like, because it's a white European man, there's you're
1: never- You're supposed to figure it out. You're
0: supposed to right. figure it out. Like, there's never the the assumption that you won't. And like, I can, you know, I grew up in the US, right? Like I could read Dora Neil Hurston and Toni Morrison a hundred times easier than I can read Tolstoy, but, it's still that that's seen as kind of more other. Well,
1: Um, also it's because the canon being defined by white European dudes. And so those things you were just supposed to figure it out i remember i grew up in church and we were had these like when you had to read the boring parts of the bible that were just people's names ezekiel you know begat jehoshaphat but i'm like (laughs) what are these names but it's like you have to read it out loud and you would always go please don't let me when we're going in the group in sunday school make me read that chapter where it's all like "Ah!" but you have to because that's what it was and that was literally the canon um but you know people always say there's a a moment, um, Kavajani Wallace, the actress who was in uh, Beast the Wild and, mm-hmm. um, and Annie, where there was a reporter, Not she was nominated for an Oscar. And this reporter said, could not pronounce her name. Right. Said, I'm just going to call you Annie. And she goes, that's not my name. Yeah. And people said she was a bitch because she insisted on being called. Because as someone said, if you can figure out how to pronounce um, Kavaziany, you can figure out how to pronounce "cavagnac." It's yeah. not that hard. You say it once; it's difficult. Whatever, you know. I learned like difficult French names, mm-hmm. um, and I, I my French pronunciation is much better than my actual speaking of it. But I can pronounce some French, you know. Yeah. Not I'm Baltimore. I'm a black girl from Baltimore. I don't, you know. And I did it because it was important to me. Yeah. Is it important? If it's important enough to you, the fact that you would say to this child, "Well, I'm just going to call you Annie," fuck you. That's it's not my name i agree
3: fuck you yeah. that's awful
1: yeah um more questions
2: yeah, oh, yeah uh yeah i was about the my actual question was about the twitter account
1: twitter, you yeah, mentioned,
2: yeah. yeah you mentioned your uh, social media platform uh but you're also a columnist so did it develop was it developed beforehand through that being a columnist
1: close. i probably before i got my i'm now at like I don't know, seventy something hundred. It's still not like awesome, but I'm in the seven thousands of, of people, and I probably when I got my book deal, I was in the four thousands. So it's been gradual. Um, and I everyone have i write about Taylor Swift, I get like fifty followers, and then someone will go, oh, she doesn't write, Taylor, write about Taylor all the time. So delete, 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 delete. <laughs> But it's been gradual. But th- having a platform, for instance, that they the when Little Brown knew that I was going to write about my own book, so they knew that they had some, you know, and I knew people, so that I knew people to ask for for blurbs, and just kind of like hanging out on Twitter, and people I've interviewed, um, and just you know, I got a huge boost from um, James Patterson, who happens to live here, who when. I first started at the Palm Beach Post in 2002, wrote me a letter and said, I've just moved here and I think you're funny. And I was like, what? What's <laughs> happening? And so over the years, you know, when we see each other, not a lot, when we see each other, he's always been very encouraging. And so I saw him around the time I was pitching the book and he asked to read it. And then my, own, one, my first of three book events that happened before everything went to crap, was him. He interviewed me in this thing that the Cultural Council in Palm Beach does in the hotel that Scott and I got married, our 10th anniversary weekend. It all happened. And it was that weekend. They said, what date do you want? I said, I want that date. And so I had done the interview. where I interviewed people like um, Jason Newstead, formerly of Metallica. Like I had been the person who had interviewed him. But I got to be the interviewer. And we just laughed. And he told me that he had a near widowhood experience. He was in love with someone in his 20s who died. You know, and that we had this really beautiful conversation. Um, and all the pictures d they're on Twitter, all the pictures of us laughing. So it's like, ah! there's a picture of us in the Grip and Grin line where I'm holding a drink of something and I got my dress has it's like a dress with a tutu and a cape. Nice. Because
2: of it was oh, what what's your what's your handle? Let me see these.
1: It's uh <laughs> it's Leslie Streeter. I don't see which. sorry, what? Oh,
0: I just realized I should put everyone's handles on Sea Witch. It didn't occur to me. Um, if you go to the Sea Witch Twitter account, it's definitely there. Or oh, Leslie oh. can just give it to you, obviously.
1: Yes, it's, I think it's, it's just Leslie Streeter. Wait a minute. L-E-S-L-E. gotcha. At Leslie Streeter, yeah. So I'm at 7,413 followers. Give me some more followers, people.
2: You've got a new one.
1: There you go. But yeah, if you look, if you do, me and James Patterson, you should see the pictures on there somewhere of me in the cape, which is hilarious. But I'm... I think a lot of my platform also has come from just be like being, I think a nice person. And that like, I don't like, I don't like become friends with people cause I want things from them or whatever. I just like over the last, cause I had no idea my husband was going to die. You know, I didn't know this is the book I was going to write, but over like the last 15 to 20 years, I've met people that I've just sort of kept in touch with. And there was moments where I was like, I wrote this book. Would you read it? And they were like, yes. And that was really, um, I can't tell you, I cried a lot in good ways because people like looked out for me. And um, I'm 50, I'm 49. And they're like, I'm Sally O'Malley and I'm 50. <laughs> um, those of you who know that reference. Um, but I am at this point where I'm new at something and where I'm about to leave my job. You know, I'm working for the Palm Beach Post until the middle of September. And then I'm starting a new thing, hopefully not sure what that is yet exactly. And I'm going into a new, new situation because I want to be in Baltimore or in the Northeast. I want to be close to my family and it's scary. And I feel like I'm 25 all of a sudden, but I'm really ready for it. You know, and I have had already people reach out to me. Um, to want to give me advice or help me or whatever, because I've meant something to them and not like in a, I'm waiting for my favorite girl kind of a way. Cause that's gross. Um, I just, you know, I, what I've done has meant something to people and it really means a lot to me.
0: Um, you weren't asking me, but I am like a full 100% Twitter person.
1: Um, I think there's
0: probably people who like, don't think I exist off Twitter. Um, so like, and like Leslie and I, that's like, exactly, like we just were in each other's mentions. Um, I think actually Leslie was like in mine before I followed her back and, um, I have gotten so much from Twitter in the past two years and see which entirely would not exist without it. Um, And I'm lucky in that kind of, I just started writing things on Twitter and it it kind of took off. Um, And I'm almost at 16,000. I'm like going to try and get there for my birthday. That's amazing. (laughs) It's just, I spend too much time doing it. But my point is that like, I've reached out to a lot of people for Sea and to get authors and like it's been so exciting because because I built this platform I'm already friendly with them like I already know them and so mm-hmm. I go like I want to like I would love to have you speak and I think there's an element I hope at least there's an element of like we already had a relationship so when I say I would love to do this there's some trust right there isn't like oh she's just trying to do whatever there's like oh well she's built her platform this way we've had good conversations and so, like, I've been so excited at the number of authors who've said yes to giving talks through Seawitch. I love it. And like, I was so excited that Leslie wanted to do the first one, and I just met Brandon, who who's here still, and she's going to um, be doing one in a few weeks. And like, you know, that's just—I um, met her actually during Seawitch stuff. We hadn't talked before, but I think that something great about Twitter is that it's very constant. And so you can build relationships with people in kind of an organic way, and people don't realize that. Like, you have to put a little work into it, but we're just always there, and we can participate in each other's niches, in each other's conversations. And then when we want to do something a little separate, you know, people are there for it. Um,
1: Absolutely.
0: Kind of a roundabout answer, but... Um, I'm a big believer in, in social media for, for positive things. So, and um, well, I, like, I, I,
2: yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. What's your handle then?
0: Oh, sure. <laughs> do that. And if anyone isn't following Seawitch yet. Uh, the Twitter handle for Seawitch is like counterintuitive to my brain. Cause it's, books Books. see which there we go um and so like I can't ever type it correctly but also if everyone wants to drop their handles like I'm all for using this platform to build each other up and do things like drop your handles get followers you know great yeah like I'm, as I said I'm not going to pretend that I am doing this totally altruistically but I do believe in amplifying authors and amplifying this work and like you know, I think being raised by an English professor, like I have full belief in the power of books and words and education, and we certainly need that right now. Also, I got
3: to say, Mia, that um, you may have been raised by me, but you are raising me now, because because <laughs> I would not be on Twitter without you, and I was like a Twitter virgin, and you you really helped me and meeting Leslie I wouldn't be here and finding out about you if it weren't me being on Twitter and I just met John recently and he did an amazing Twitter event um, recently that I was lucky enough to be part of and now I was lucky enough to read a long poem that he wrote and I knew a contest that he should submit it to and I really feel like we're amplifying each other already don't you
2: Oh, I, I think so. Yeah, I, it's, it's really, uh, yeah, I, I was, I was just curious about the, the approaches of both uh, Leslie and Mia. And I think that they, they definitely reinforce the way I see it, which is really nice to hear. And, and yeah. So, um, yeah. I'm
0: going to also give a little shout out. Bobby's here. He hasn't talked yet, but he, he dropped his handle and um, he's a beautiful writer. And he's actually married to my work wife, who I didn't meet on Twitter, but I did meet on Facebook. So, um, you know, social media, (laughs) it was a few years ago now, but social media all around.
2: Um, Can I uh, I also, can I ask about ordering the book? I'm sure I'll find this out once I click on it. Um, I'm in Canada. Uh, Is it? I think it
0: should work the same. Is it okay? I I think it's here. If you want to click on the link,
2: yeah. Um, well, I, I don't want to take up time on technical. No, yeah,
0: you Yeah, oh, okay. you can message me whenever. Um, yeah. Look, I would love you to order the book through our site because then we get a little money. But worst case to worst, you'll order the book for Leslie and, and you'll tell other people to order it through our site. Okay.
2: <laughs> Done. Done. Deal, deal either way.
0: Yeah, deal either okay. way. Um, yeah, like obviously. But yeah, so that's what I mean. This is the first event, so I'm definitely talking a little bit about like what I hope we'll do here but certainly community. And I think we all really need that. And so I'm hoping, you know, this builds, I'm hoping authors connect and we're, we're hoping to expand the site, you know, that we'll have book clubs, that we'll have community boards. My, and we, my mom and I have been talking about this, our dream is that we'll actually open an ebook indie press that won't have a lot of overhead because we'll just make ebooks. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens, but, yeah, um we there can be more questions too and, and more discussion. Sorry, not to to jump in and kind of wrap things up there, but yeah. Uh
2: well, one, actually I had one more question for Leslie and then I probably will have to, to roll. Do you think- uh, um so I was going to, so about the, I always hate when, because I haven't read the book. I'd rather talk to you about the book, to be honest. Um, But when I read it, I will send you very polite DMs. Please do.
1: (laughs) Commiserating
2: questions. My
1: DMs are open.
2: (laughs) (laughs) About writing tragedy and humor, which I'd really find interesting. Uh, But yeah, just the process of now having released the book. I mean, in the pandemic, obviously not great. Um, But you said you did have an interview on the, you said the Today Show?
1: I did about grief. Um, the, the, what I was booked to do in April, was supposed to be just about the books. So to me, this is much more meaningful as me and David Kessler, who's a very well-known grief writer, who co-wrote um, On Grief and Grieving with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who created the Stages of Grieving. So he's like this professional, and he's like a speaker around the world, and he's whatever, and I'm like a girl who wrote one book, you know, about her husband dying. So they're like, we can have them on together. I'm like, okay, that's great. So... <laughs> um he's you know super like meaningful and like sincere and whatever and i've got like sparkly earrings on and tassels and i'm like sitting here you know and i had run out to wed dixie that morning to get um it came on at like 10 in the morning and i'd gone out at eight to get um champagne and orange juice because my friends were coming over so we could all watch it together and we could have mimosas on the porch so i'm that person so the fact that that all happened and we were able to both and i've heard from people be helpful and meaningful to people it was really cool so that was great everything else I was supposed to do like i was supposed to read at the um edgar Allan poe house in baltimore mother's day that got canceled i had a whole tour ish between that and some bookstores between here and baltimore i was supposed to do book con um and all that wound up going online but 85 percent of the things that i've done we're supposed to do one online and those that have it have been replaced by things like you and by Bellatrist and by you know John saying and like all these places that I would not have I might have done if I was doing a traditional tour, but there's this community of people like yourself, like I you said, who need that connection with books. And so I have done events. I mean, there were probably the the book con thing probably got five hundred hits, a thousand hits, and it is doubtful. That at BookCon, a thousand people would have stood and listened to that talk. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But they did online, mm-hmm. and that was so like impressive and important to me. I think the live one was like 200 people. I'm like the 200 people, like literally, because they are at BookCon and walking around. You're like, yeah, I just want to go and get like my handmade still handmaid's tail stuff signed. You know, because <laughs> that's sort of what that um, group is. So the fact that I was able to to be involved in that was amazing. So once again. It's not an opportunity in a vultury opportunistic way. It's an opportunity in this crappy, awful thing happened to all of us. And how do we still, from the shards, make it something that's meaningful in this context to people? And people who couldn't afford to go to BookCon got to go to BookCon because they got to sit in their house yeah. and watch it. And that, to me, was really important.
2: Did the, uh, Did the, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. No, no, go for it. Uh, did the, in, did uh, the online interaction, um, uh, how did you how did you find it? Were there follow-ups? Did people send you a message afterwards? There were afterwards? Yeah,
1: questions and then I had people who would email me. Every time I, I do something, whether it's like from a widow's forum or a grief thing or just a general thing like this about writing or books, I'll have two or three people find me on Twitter or email me, um, lussagraystreater at gmail.com and say, I saw you on that forum but I, I was too shy to say anything or I didn't want to derail it, or whatever. So yeah, no, I've had some really great um, follow up on that. It's been really meaningful.
2: I almost feel like, um, it's kind of incredible because if you were on stage right now, I don't think we could have this kind of, uh, back and forth quite like this.
1: And because you would say, well, I can't keep asking follow up because what about all these people? And it's weird. It feels awkward, but everyone's involved. And anyone can, who is still around can ask me questions. And once again, I cannot, um, emphasize enough that you're, please find my DMs, find my email, find lesliegraystreeter.com, and find my contact from there. You have, if you have questions, I would love to talk to you. Great.
0: Thank you. Um, okay. Well, we might want to wrap, oh, sorry, David, my brother's going to jump in for one second, I think. Oh, he's okay. He's making me move over rather than doing his computer. We're in
2: the same room, so if I unmute mine, there'll be tons of feedback. Yeah, that's
1: true. Um, I just wanted to mention uh, regarding the website. Remember, we have the links to our IndieBound page. We're an official IndieBound affiliate, so you can, um, if you click on those buttons, we'll we'll get a little bit. Um, we
2: also have our ebook store through Papertrail. It's an indie ebook, um, so but it has. The instructions are there, and it's, it's really simple. Um, so we have those two
1: options for a lot of our different titles. Um,
0: unfortunately, they don't have Leslie's.
1: No, we're hoping <laughs> will we'll build up a Sorry. bit more.
0: It's called like Paper Trial. It's like indie. Oh, OK. And, yeah, okay. they have papers, unfortunately.
2: That's OK. Um, and I'm maintaining the website. So if anybody has website issues, they can go directly to me. And I'm putting my Twitter in the chat now. OK.
1: I'm sometimes there try to be there more (laughs) okay (laughs)
0: um but yeah and and if people want to support what we're doing here as well um, you can also buy just like a totally different book that we're not advertising through our through the ebook site any book you buy through you make an account you buy it through our ebook site we get a little bit of that and we have a buy me a coffee up and also just like share like we want to build this community so if you like what we're doing Like, not everyone can afford to put money towards it, but we want more authors, we want more community, we want to build this. So share it. Um, We have a bunch of awesome talks. The next one we have is June 28th. It's um, Chrissy Stroop and Lauren O'Neill and their book Empty the Pews, which is about like their experience of leaving evangelical Christianity. So that's hopefully going to be really good. And then we have fiction too, Hannah Moskowitz, who writes like fantastic young adult queer, fiction, um, actually maybe not all of it's queer, but it's young adult, um, and her, the one she's doing right now is Sick Kids in Love, we have Etienne Dion, who's the editor-in-chief of Bitch, she's gonna be talking
1: about her book, Ooh. she's one of my favorite people in the universe, oh, she has to come to her talk, I will, she interviewed me, and I was like, oh. she emailed me, and she goes, I love you, I love your book, I was like, what, because she's a hero of mine, because let me be an old lady for a minute, your generation's amazing, and that stuff that you guys do and um, i was reading this story today on twitter about like the fall of the girl boss about that whole moment of like girl bossness and i was like who needs that when you have women like yourself who are coming from an authentic? and yeah you're like you know it's not completely altruistic it would be nice to have money and get paid and whatever but you're not like i'm gonna be a bitch over my nose. i'm a boss bitch or whatever it's like why would you want to be? Why don't you just be a person that helps other women and helps other people and is authentic? And if you make money doing that, that's really great, because I want to make money too. Well, so and exactly, practicing.
0: and it's interesting, and I mentioned Bobby's wife, who's here, who's my work wife. Like, she and I have tried to build, and we've done some successfully, some activist spaces and kind of, you know, work through, through policy and through online advocacy. And what you learn really quickly, if you're doing it right, is that building relationships there is the best. And kind of having women in that, like you want your project amplified, so you ask people to do that, and then you stand up and amplify their project. And that that is so much more fulfilling. I think it's more productive, all of it, than the kind of just stepping on people to get what you want. For one thing, that's not fun. Like I'd rather build a community. It's just just from a self-interest point of view, that's more fun to me. But also I think it works better. Like I think, I think people are much more interested to support you if you've authentically supported them. Um, so, you know, like, I'm, I'm hoping we can build this. I'm hoping we can do it. We had such a great first talk with Leslie, who I think really set us off on the right tone. I hope um, so. I hope so. Yeah. Um, our whole schedule's up. It's going to keep going. Brandon's doing one. I'm sorry, Brandon. I forgot which date you're doing yours. Maybe David can get it up and we can put it in the chat because Brandon deserves a shout out um, for her book. So her date is going to go in, um, we're, oh, July 16th. That sounds right. Okay, cool. Um, and we'll keep emailing everyone so they get that stuff and the Zoom link. Um, and we'll keep building this. Um, but, yeah.
1: <laughs> this is amazing. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope that this just builds. And I'm going to keep, like, promoting your stuff. So my – I have to the followers you do. But I hope that someone goes, hey, I should – um, You have the blue check, though. That's pretty meaningful.
2: Oh, you have a you have a blue check? I do. <laughs> Congratulations.
1: I do. Oh my god.
2: A published book and a blue check. Living the dream, I gotta tell you.
1: Living the dream, man. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Um, no, so thank you, Leslie, so much. Thank you, everyone who came. It was so nice to have you. Thank you so much for supporting our venture. And if there's ever questions, concerns, ideas, authors, Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, If you know me, you know you can reach out to me about anything. If you don't, I'm telling you now. Um, DM's open, email's open. Let's keep this going. Thank you. OK. Thanks, everyone. So, thank bye, Leslie. Lovely. Hopefully I'll talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Bye bye. Bye. Brandon, I recorded the video, so
1: hopefully I'll be able to upload it for sharing. We'll see how it goes.